Acts chapter 2. We're looking at verses 44 and 45. Okay, so after Peter, after the 120 were in the upper room, beginning Acts chapter 2, after they were speaking in tongues, after uh, a, the, the sound of a mighty rushing wind and the fire came and noise was abroad and they spake in tongues and they testified of the wonderful four works of God. And everybody said, what's going on? And Peter explained what just happened. And he said, you by wicked hands have crucified and slain the Son of God and be it known to all the house of Israel this day that, that's, that God hath made that same Jesus whom you have crucified with Lord and Christ. And they were convicted of their sin. They cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? And he said, repent. They trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, they that gladly received his word. Because in verse 21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name or the fame or the reputation, the glory of the Lord shall be saved. Will they calling upon Christ gladly received his word? And they were baptized, and that all by the power of God, they gladly received his word and were baptized. They were converted. And that same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And now in verse 44, And all that believed were together and had all things common, and sold their possession, possessions and goods, and part of them to all men, as every man had need. Today we'll be looking at the subject of communalism, communalism, not communism, communalism, communalism. Well, by biblical definition, what is communalism? The believer is making available all their substance so that everyone's needs, so that every believer's needs were met, Communal, communalism. And that word needs is important, okay? The word needs is important. Not their wants, not their wishes, not their extras, not their $5 lattes, but their needs. Their needs were met. That's what it says, right? Verse 45, as every man had need or necessity. That word need means necessity, of necessities. So let's think further about this situation, okay, and see the magnitude of it. In Acts chapter 2, we, we considered what happened at the, at the early part, but uh, look, look in, in verse 5, Acts chapter 2 and verse 5. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was noised abroad, the multitude, the multitude came together and were confounded because of, that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all, out of every nation, devout Jews, all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not these which speak Galileans. And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and in Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt, and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, those that had converted to Judaism, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. Why do we read that? Because it says, and all that believed were together and had all things common. This is more than just 120. Okay? These people had come literally from all over. From all over. And when they came from all over, think about when you go all over. When we went to Texarkana not long ago, did you bring all your possessions? Did you load up all your, all your, all your guns and all your money and all your possessions and all your chickens and your dogs and just everything you had and you took it to Texarkana? No. You took what you had to, to get there and back, but, all, but your life, 
and your home and your family and your circumstances and your employment and, and all and everything was still here, right? Think about that. Your life and your living was still here. We just took pre- uh, temporary arrangement to go to Texarkana, presuming that we were coming back. Right. So these people in Acts chapter two, verses one through 11, coming from all over the place, they didn't pack up everything they had. If they had 100 oxen, they didn't pack up 100 oxen and take it to Jerusalem. They took what they needed. And because of the way civilization is, many of them probably didn't bring a whole bunch. They may have just taken a purse of money hoping to to buy and to barter things as they needed. You see? So these people were so affected by the gospel that it overhauled their life and now they have a new way of living. Not just a new way of talking, a new way of living. Verse 41, then they they gladly received his word, were baptized. They They were immersed underwater as a picture or a sign of their agreement with the gospel and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls, added to them. Some people, when they join a church, they're added to that church by mouth or by statement, but they're not part of what's going on in that that church. No, as we read in verse 44, all that believed were together. Okay, I'm not, the Lord has changed me. I'm not going back to Crete and to Mesopotamia and to Phrygia and all parts of the earth. No, the Lord has changed me. Now I am together with the people of God. That is what happens. Okay? You don't go back to the old way of living. You don't keep the old associations. You don't have the old life. Family, circumstances, everything. And that's that's a truth as old as, as the command itself. Look, just, just think about what the Lord said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. I'm calling you, Abram. Get away from everything you know. Trust me, follow me, do what I say. Converted, right? A totally different, totally different person in this life. So these people followed. They, they did what God told Abraham to do. Right? They were added unto the assembly. They weren't baptized and went back home and, and just lived their life. Said, yeah, I'm a member of a church a thousand miles from here. No, they continued there. They were added and with them. It says they were together. That's important. So these people that are totally abandoning their old life, their old associations, everything they knew, if they had a crop of corn in the field, if they had a hundred ox at home, whatever, they took up their cross and followed Christ. Right. They, they, their concern for the things of this life were over. And it was preceded by now their faith in Christ and to follow him in the Lord's assembly. That's convicting, isn't it? That's convicting. These people newly converted. And it doesn't say anywhere that Peter told them, hey, you gotta, you got to forsake your whole family. These people newly converted, that was their instinct by the Spirit of God being added to this assembly to continue with it and to follow it. And continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, hey, there's a bunch of stuff, y'all, that, that you, you preach, Peter, that you, that you preach John and James, that y'all, that y'all are talking about? I've got no idea what you're talking about, but I know it's got to be right because you were taught of God. 
And, and we're going to continue in that. I'm not going to continue in my old way. I'm going to continue in this new way. In a fellowship and breaking the bread and prayer. So fear came upon every soul and all that believed were together. That's good. And it wasn't just a few. It was a bunch of them. Again, verse 41. Then they gladly received his word, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 souls. Okay, so you compare 120 to 3,000, that's pretty big. We just have a few people. Okay, so do, do the math on it, okay? If there were 12 people here, that would be like 300. If you, you know, reduce it down by 10. If there's 12 people here and 300 people came in, what would we do? How, 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 think about how difficult in our own minds it would be to tell these people to separate themselves from the world and to continue with us. And have all things common. That, that would be a difficult thing to do. But that's the power of God. And that he changes and overhauls people's lives. And I believe he's no different today. While speaking in tongues was something of the past. Converting people and them following the Lord in their lives. It's, it's the same. Think, think of what happened uh, to Paul, uh, uh, Saul of Tarsus. Wasn't his life completely overhauled? I believe it was. I believe the Lord overhauls people's lives. So there's a whole bunch of them. There's 3,000 people here. Now, 120 people couldn't take care of 3,000. And the Lord wasn't on the banks of the, uh, the Sea of Galilee to, to make 5,000, uh, to, to feed the thousands, right, with fish and bread. Now, we, now they're dealing with things in a practical manner. So how are they going to deal with this in a practical manner? Here's where the need comes in, okay? Again, it's like going off to a conference. What if we? What if? What if everybody that went to Texarkana to that conference and that house was packed? What if every one of us was religiously unsaved, and someone preached the gospel, and now all of, everybody was there was truly converted in the Lord, and being convicted and converted, we had to start new lives. How would we do it? How would how would we do it? Picking up roots, if you will. How, how would that happen in a, in a practical sense? You see, if that were to happen, or when we have our conference in December and this place is likewise full, how, how, would, that ha how, would, we, how would we see that that came to pass? Well, people would need food, right? They would need food. Well, to, in today's economy, we can just take out our piece of plastic and whoosh, you know, swipe it and, 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 and go forward. Back in those days, they couldn't just go down to Walmart, could they? So how are they going to feed thousands of people? Clothing? How much did you... I packed a little duffel bag to go to Texarkana, and they might have had a wagon full or whatever, but how much clothing would, would someone need for a trip? Right now, I've just got what I'm wearing, and you just have what you're wearing. We used to pack extra clothes for the kids because you never know what's going to happen with kids. Shelter? Who's going to house all these people? Where, where's all this stuff going to go? You know, it takes a while to get established. It really does. Unless you're sleeping under a tree or in a parking lot or in some kind of park or in an alleyway, it, it takes some time and it takes some measures. It, it, it takes some provision to, to house people. Essentials, those things you don't think about, but... You know, what if there were new parents that came up to Jerusalem and they only packed so many diapers, right? What, 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 if there were, what if there were some elderly people and they only had so much herbs and roots and medications and they didn't have everything? How are they going to come by that stuff? 
How are they going to supply with barns and supplies and, and tools? What if somebody was a tradesman, but they left all their tools at home because work's at home? But now I need tools because I'm staying here. How's all that going to work out? You see? Maybe paying for, you know, I, I'm here and I got a busted wagon wheel. You know, the, how, are these things, how are these things going to happen? All that believe were together and they had all things common. That's, that's what the Bible says. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men that every, as every man had need. So there were people that had stuff that were there and they sold that stuff and made sure everybody had what they needed. Okay? So you had the situation, you got the need, and now here's the remedy. These are fellow believers, all that believed. Okay? That's important. That's important. The world didn't provide for them. They didn't go to the local handout office and say, hey, look, I've got a need. I need you to provide for me. Nor did they provide for the world. You know, that's somewhere, somehow, some way, people have come to the conclusion that the Lord's people are supposed to be a charity office. We've had people come in and ask for money. There was one lady that came in. You might remember me telling you the story. Well, she didn't come in. She didn't come out of the car, but she asked to borrow against our treasury. People think that the Lord's people and the Lord's house and the Lord's substance is, is to be profited and, and spread about, about the world as if, as if we're some kind of just charitable organization. Now, we do have a tax-exempt number, and the reason for that is our government sees fit that, that we would be spared of taxes so that, so that those monies would be used to profit the community. But I, I don't believe in the form of handouts. I believe that we have the resources to indeed bring the gospel to the community. That's right. So we should use it in such a thing. So when we purchase things, it ought to be things purchased unto the furtherance of the gospel. Yeah. Right? So if we're buying Bibles, thank the Lord we have a tax-exempt number because we pass those Bibles out. If we're, if we're doing literature, or whatever we're doing, whatever we're buying as an assembly, it should be for the furtherance of the gospel, taking advantage of those things. So there was, there was listen, there was no sherathon either. Remember the old Jerry Lewis sherathon that they used to have? There was no bake sale at the temple. This, this, this poverty or this, this, this potential for poverty was remedied by unity, okay? Loving one another, loving your neighbor, especially those of the household of faith. Well, I don't know. This guy came up from Phrygia, and he's covered from head to toe in tattoos. Well, I'm not going to sell all my stuff so he can have what he needs. Where is that written? It says believers. All, they, all that believed were together. So that is, the, that is the stipulation of togetherness for the people of God, particularly in the Lord's house, is that they're believers. Okay? How do we know that they're believers? Because they gladly received the word, they were baptized, and their lives were changed. That's how they knew they were believers. Should we have any less scrutiny? No. People that, that gladly received the word and gladly desire to be part of us, and, and, and they, their believers in their lives have been changed by the work of God in their lives. Yes, whatever their case, whatever their circumstances, whatever their backgrounds, however they look, whatever they used to be, that's what they were, that's not what they are, that was then, this is now, all that believed were together. Isn't, doesn't that sound like a wonderful, wonderful church? <laughs> Sounds great. Sounds great. So in their unity, 
Listen, today it's difficult to get believers just to show up in many churches. I've heard messages from pastors pretty well my entire spiritual life that that there are struggles in churches that they can't get the people of God to simply show up. Look, in verse 44, all that believed were together, comma, and had all things common. We can't see to each other's needs if we're not present. How logical is that? You can't be unified if you're not present, right? There are some people in Congress that that they that they, they, they a lot of votes they're absent and sometimes they'll just vote present, you know. And then and then then there's some people that actually have a voice, yay or nay. But if someone's not there, there's no absenteeism in the Lord's assembly. In fact, forsaking the assembling of ourselves, the writer of Hebrews says, is the manner of some, but not us. Not the true believer. A true believer won't won't forsake this. It won't abandon the people of God, you see. Not true believers. So they that believed, all believers were were, were together. That's wonderful. And, And shame on those children of God that will not come together in the, in the belief of Jesus Christ, gladly receiving the word, having been baptized, claiming that their lives have been overhauled. overhauled. Shame on them. That's, that's not how this early church presented itself. And it can be difficult to ask believers to give up their time to worship God. These people gave up more than their time, you see. It, their lives were changed, you see. So people complain that the preacher speaks of tithing. It's like it's a crime or it's shameful or whatever. These people, gladly receiving the word, had all things common, and I believe they were glad to do it. They were glad to be there. They were glad to do it. They were glad to care for one another. They were glad to love the Lord with all their heart, forsaking all others. And they were glad to love their neighbor as themselves, particularly of the household of faith. It's wonderful. But also, guess what? Their unity involved their substance. Their unity involved their substance. Look over in the in the book of, of James, if you would, please. Let's see. James. In James chapter uh, 2... And verse 14, what did the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? But see how this translates out. Faith, trust in God. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, that is where they were heading in Acts chapter 2. And one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled. May the Lord bless you. Notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it have not works, is dead being alone. Well, how does that, how does that translate? Again, their unity involved their substance. They saw the needs of others. It says again in verse 45, as every man had need. They saw the needs of others and the potential need of others. And with their substance, according to their faith, They helped one another. With their substance, according to their faith, they helped one another. They put their their money where their mouth was, if you will. 
Not in order to, but because of. That's important. This was not mandated, but a natural showing of godly affection. Okay, that's the remedy. How do the people of God solve uh, problems within the church with a natural affection toward one another according to the grace and mercy of God and the Spirit of God? That, that's how problems are solved, you see. Again, in this group, if you go back and look at the different nationalities, there may have been controversy within nationalities. You know, there may have been a tendency for people to look at one another and snarl and say, Him? Him? But that was not the case in, in Acts chapter 2. It was not the case. They, they had things in common. So if, if, if that's how it was, isn't that how it ought to be? Now, there's no command, there's no mandate for communalism. In fact, we're going to read things uh, from Paul's writings that would warn against it. But it should be a desire that the people of God see that the needs of the people of God are met. It, it should be a desire. Okay, so what happens? In a practical sense, uh, when we were in, in Louisiana, we flooded. Churches from all over the place gave us funds so that we could restore. Now, we had savings, but that, who saves excess of $100,000 to rebuild a building? You know. So there were people that came together for the love of God and for the love of God's people to restore that which we had. Thank God for that type of grace in the people of God. It wasn't mandated, and we didn't ask for it. Word, word was noise that we had need, and people gave such as we had need. And thank God for the blessings of God. When we had excessive, we offered to give monies back to people, and not one church or single individual would receive any money back. Thank God for the generosity of the people of God. But that's the remedy. There was no mandate, but a natural show of godly affection. May God grant such a godly affection among us that we would truly would see about each other's needs. In seeing about those needs, you know, sometimes we can be so spiritual that we, that we try to hide from one another the things that we have need of. And that actually deprives one, we can deprive one another of the blessings of giving. Okay? Uh, again, back to the book of James, chapter 5. James, chapter 5. Um... Verse 13, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. Now, the flow of that is a restoration. The flow of that is if any man could be caught in a, in a sin that we could help one another. The, that's what the flow of that is. But I believe that's also in our faults. That's also, we could all draw from that our failings and infirmities and the things we have want and need of. Want and need of. Again, not, not extras, but the needs. You know, you know. Look, I, I, I've been ungodly, and I've been spending more than I make, and I, I have need. I repent of that. Which you see the sin in that, but also there's a it, it blends to a need. And I believe the people of God just pr praying for one another, but also being there to supply the needs would be right 
Verse 19, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. It's good to help one another. It's good. And that with our substance, it's good to help one another. Now, if somebody has a tendency to go buy lottery tickets and they're poor and they repent of that, give them a little help, give them a little money, and then go out and buy lottery tickets. I don't, I don't recommend that you become an ATM for somebody else's addictions and lottery, you know, whatever. But we are to help one another. If someone truly does repent, we are as they did. They that gladly received the word were baptized, and they were together. All the believers were together. All that believed were together and had things common. We also see that there was zero selfishness in that day of the church. Zero selfishness. Well, it might have been easier for some people to sell all that they had if they didn't have very much. It might have been harder for those that had vastly quite a kingdom for themselves to sell all that they had and have all things come. That might have been more difficult. We are to have possessions, and it's good to have possessions, right? Possessions, uh, it's good to have them, it's good to get them, it's good to sell them. Right? Do not make your possessions an idol. Don't make them the thing that worries you and the thing that, that bothers you and the thing that motivates you. Not your possessions. Don't make a possession an end goal. But it's good to enjoy the work of your labor. Look what it says in Ecclesiastes chapter chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And in verse 24. There is no Ecclesiastes 3.24. Let's see here. 2 and 24. There is nothing better for a man that, than that he should eat and drink and that he should make his soul enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw that it was from the hand of God. It's good. It is good. If you work, it is good for you to be able to have things that, the, that work provides for. It's good. It's, it's what the Bible says. It's good. But again, not that they would be an idol, not that they would be uh, a, a, an end goal, but that it would be recognized that it is indeed from the hand of God. Okay? It was the first command of God to labor until the fellowship of the Lord. In Genesis chapter 2, God set the man in the garden, said, work it, keep it, till it, and, and don't touch the thing I told you not to. Okay? And in chapter 3... Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day or in the evening. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the, the trees of the garden. It can be inferred that the Lord God did walk among them every evening after the work was done. So while it is a command of God uh, that 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 man work, it's also a, a a a a fellowship, a place of fellowship that the people of God can have in the work, in their substance, knowing that all those things are coming from God. But guess what else? Those substances, being from the hand of God, were also a blessing to others, weren't they? Look at that again for our, our text. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. And all that believed were together and had all things common. The things that God had given them grace to work for, to earn, to have, 
that, that they now saw the needs of others and they through through the through the work of the spirit of god in them being glad to be a part of a desire to bless other other children of god they desired to do that and the needs were met they desired to meet the needs of others again there was no stinginess there there was no selfishness there there was a desire to please god and to be a help to the people of god that word need again is important we must see that that the needs were met the necessities were met not the wants not the extravagances but the needs okay the needs what was the belief of that day what was the belief of that day they thought christ was coming right back okay so put yourself in jerusalem two thousand some years ago and look at what it says in, in Acts chapter 1 and verse 18. Acts chapter 1 verse 18. So ye shall receive power or ability after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and all, the, all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And, verse, and then you see, read through verse 12, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of the sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, You men of Galilee, why stand ye, up, why, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven." They thought it could literally be any second. Back to Luke chapter 24, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a similar account by the same writer of the same event. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49, And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. And he led them up, uh, he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him. Now, between verses 51 and 52, those two men said, Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? He went away, he's coming back. Now, verse 52, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. He's coming back. He's coming back. The kingdom, he's, he's coming to establish the kingdom. He's coming back any moment. And we're continuing in the temple, praising and blessing God. Amen. That's where they were. Okay. That, that last verse of, 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 uh, of, of Acts chapter, or excuse me, Luke chapter 24, I believe is a glimpse into Acts chapter 2. They continued steadfastly. So in their hearts, they thought he was coming right back. Listen to what Peter said in, 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 uh, in Acts chapter 3. If you start reading in verse 12, Acts chapter 3 and verse 12, and when Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? The God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom ye delivered up and denying him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just and desired a murderer to be granted unto you. You see the passion, you see the urgency in all this. And killed the prince of life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. And his name through faith 
and and in his and his name through faith in his name have made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yea, the faith which is by him hath given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. And now, 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 brethren, I wot that through ignorance he did it, as did also your rulers. But those things which God before hath showed by the mouth of all his prophets that Christ should be should suffer, and he he hath so fulfilled. Repent ye therefore now, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and and I believe Peter expected the Lord to come even in this very moment, and he shall send Jesus, which was and he shall send. Listen, the the presence shall shall send. He's going to send Jesus Christ, which is before you preached unto you, whom the heaven must receive until the times of restitution of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all His holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said unto the fathers, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me. Him shall ye hear in all things whatsoever he shall say unto you. And it shall come to pass that every soul which will not hear the prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that followed after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. So when he says these days, he's he knows, he believes that Christ is coming back right now, that God will send him right now. Peter preaching that, and I believe he was right to preach that. He wasn't wrong to preach, he was right to preach that, but they believed that also. So they believed that Christ was coming back right now. And believing that Christ was coming back right now, they didn't care about their hundred oxen at home. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't care about everything else going on in the world. They, they didn't care. They didn't care what the king of Egypt was doing. They believed Christ was coming back right now. Look at verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. They were praising God, Luke chapter 24. That's what it says at the end there. But think about, think about how you would have behaved. Think about if at your conversion you would have believed right now that the Son of God was coming back. I believe that I, the Lord gave me a unique experience in salvation. I was saved September 8th, 2001. September 8th, 2001. Almost immediately after the Lord saved me, those trade towers came down. I believed that that was the end of that it was the beginning of the end of all things. I really did. I was a young man. I, I and 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 I was while it was terrible what happened to our nation. My soul was excited. To think is this it? Am I is the did the Lord save me at the very last? Was I the last of the sheep to be saved before His glorious appearing? When I told several men that had been saved a long time, they couldn't comprehend the joy that I had. I didn't care what, I, what happened to me at school. I didn't care about my job. The Lord was at hand. That was my belief, and I believe that was their belief 2,000 years ago. But what would it, what would, how would it change our lives, children of God, if that was our belief today? That the Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. Yeah, our jobs, we should work. They're important, but the Lord is at hand. Yes, we, we should should take some rest and we should plan and we should do this or that, but the Lord is at hand. 
Yes, you should you should save and you should invest and you should plan for the future and you should lay up an inheritance for your children's children, but the Lord is at hand. They essentially cashed out their 401k. They didn't care what was about to happen, for they truly believed that the Lord was at hand. They really believed the Lord was coming back right now, and you see how it changed their lives. But the outcome, though, communalism, we have to be careful. It, it might be tempting right now for us to say, okay, well, good. Let's sell everything we have and make all things common. The problem with this, there's a problem because we're human beings. The problem with this is at some point you run out of other people's money. You run out of other, you ran, you run out of other people's stuff. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Because, again, just as much as it would have been easier for someone who had little to sell more than those that had a lot, it's easier for people who who have little to buy in. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 1. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay up by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that he have be that there be no gatherings when I come. When I come, whomsoever you shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality, your generosity unto Jerusalem. Why? Because everybody under communalism, making everything everyone's substance, they ran out of stuff. They ran out. They made everything common, but it looks as though they didn't pick up where they left off as far as laboring in that day. Paul, believing the Lord was at hand, he was a tent maker, wasn't he? He, he believed the Lord is at hand. You know, we, sh we should plant our fruit trees that they, would, that they would produce in five to ten years and yet expect the Lord today. I should, I should put money into, into my IRA and investments to retire knowing the Lord may come back today. today. It is unwise to practice communalism but nobody do any work. That is unwise. That is unwise. Some people are okay with depending on and being furnished by others. But what if everybody was depending on you? What if everybody was depending on you to sell all you have so that you could be a blessing to others? You see, again, it's easy when it's other people's stuff being sold. It brings it to reality when we talk about our own things, doesn't it? Would someone be just as okay with supplying and furnishing others? Is everyone okay with being Philip? Look in Acts chapter 21. Yeah, let's sell everything we have. That way I can be taken care of. How about Acts chapter 21? Acts chapter 21 and verse 8. And the next day, we that were of Paul's company, so a group of people, departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip, the evangelist, which was one of the seven, one of the deacons. We studied him at length last year and abode with him. And the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, so a group of people for many days were supplied by Philip. There came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. 
A child of God should plan ahead. A child of God should be open and willing, open and willing to provide for the, to meet the needs of other children of God. But again, I can't just say, Lord, be with you. A diligent man of God, a diligent woman of God will also, in their diligence in serving God, have means to help one another. That's also a part of godliness, not just receiving. What's the Lord say? It's better to give than to receive. That applies here. A child of God should also plan ahead against famine and hard times. Look over in Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. Again, still concerning those at Jerusalem. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Communalism. They had everything in common. Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And in those days, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, same guy that, that was in Caesarea, and signified by the Spirit that there should be a great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So in addition to their communalism, specifically those in Jerusalem, in addition to their communalism, and they just didn't have substance to care for one another, well, guess what? On top of that, there was dirt, there was drought, there was famine. Hard times came. Communalism, yes, if, if one is to practice communalism, it works if everyone does work. And it works if everyone does put away. And it works if everyone does uh, supply to them that have... As according to everyone's need, according to everyone loving their, their neighbor. Lex reminded me not long ago that early in our, our country's history, the pilgrims, they had a form of communalism, and it nearly destroyed the camps because there was a group of people that were not working. You know, So half the group or so was providing for the entire group, and that doesn't work very well. It literally doesn't work very well. So what was the what was the, the the outcome of all this? Well, Paul later preached against this, in both First and Second Thessalonians, Paul is writing to the church at Thessalonica concerning the second uh, the coming of the Lord, specifically the rapture. Okay. If you look at Second Thessalonians chapter three, he expects the people of God to behave to be behaving like the people of God to behave to behave accordingly. So in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, he's not preaching communalism. He's preaching brotherly love and work. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 4. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you. So it's the work of God in you that you both do and will do the things that we command you. Not believe and will believe, do and will do. Okay? And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. Well, what's the love of God? Just saying, I love you and peace? No. Directing your hearts into the love of God is doing the things that God has told us to do. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's what the Lord said in, in John 14. And into the patient waiting or, or, or administering unto Christ. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he uh, received of us. What's disorderly? Just not working. 
right? Now, that's, that's what he's saying by disorderly. Those that enjoy communalism, I'm so spiritual, yet I don't have to work and provide for myself. You must provide for me. That was what was happening in Thessalonica. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught. You know, you, you try to give us uh, our food and meet our needs, but we wouldn't take it, but wrought or worked with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any, any of you. Not because we have not power or authority, but to make ourselves an example unto you that follow us. But look, link that back up to verse 5 again. Working night and day into the patient waiting for Christ. You see that? Working night and day unto the patient waiting of Christ. So if we were to practice communalism, it would be the all work and all labor and all uh, sell and all put in for the good of others. And not just some and not others. That's why it failed in Jerusalem. Because nobody was working and they ran out of everyone's money very quickly. For even when we were with you, this commanded, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Well, what about my needs? Pick up a shovel. What about my needs? You know, see to the needs of others and you'll get paid for it. That's what work is. Time and effort in exchange for resources. That, that's what work is. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So spiritual, deciding how everybody else ought to be living their lives, but not working at all. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. Don't wait, don't, don't have their hand out for somebody else, but they, they shut their mouths and get their hands busy. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. Keep on doing it. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Don't let him be part of your communalism. Snuff that out. It's easy. In college, there we'd have to do group projects, and it would always be very... It wouldn't take long at all before you'd find someone who was disorderly in the group. They wouldn't provide any information, do any work, do any labor, but they wanted the A. They wanted the grade. And you know what? We would expel them out of our groups because nobody wants to be sunk and nobody wants to share their grade with somebody who's, who's such. They learned that lesson in Jerusalem. May we learn it today. That while it is good, children of God, believers, we ought to show togetherness. It says in verse 44, all that believed were together. All of us that believe here, we ought to be together. You have a need, I ought to see to it. I have a need, you ought to see to it. We ought to be together. And being kindly affection toward one another, we ought not to be abusive or draining on one another. They, those that were, quote, disorderly in Acts chapter 2 and put them in a bind when the dearth was coming and put them in a bind in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and put those in Thessalonica, it put them at a place of hardship also because they were having to pull the wagon for, for those. They were both abusive and draining. If we're going to be kindly affection toward one another, then also we'd be, it would be kind and affectionate toward me not, not to be a burden on you, right? That we would care for one another. And then I would plan and I would work to see to your needs. As we referenced in James chapter 2, I, don't, I shouldn't just say bless you. I should desire to have the means to give you a coat 
or to give you a, a meal or to house you or whatever. Believers, we ought to show togetherness. It ought, it ought to be a joy. I believe they were, it says, and, and all that believed were together and had all things common. I believe it was part of that gladness that they have in verse 41. It was a glad thing. But you see the dangers of communalism as well. So be very careful. Let's be very careful. We exercise, whenever we do uh, our, our fellowship lunches, we exercise a form of communalism. Everybody bring, because I perceive that you have, we, have, we perceive that, that everyone has a need of food, right? We, we have to eat. So if everybody perceives that everybody else has a need of food, then everybody will bring something, everybody will eat, and it will be taken care of, right? It will all be taken care of. We ought to show such love toward one another. But also sometimes it requires a little bit of vulnerability from us. Hey, I have a need. And let others have the blessing of filling that need. If someone truly does have a need and they, they struggle and, and being overhauled by God and, and now desiring to serve Him, they truly do have need, it would be wise for us and it would be good for us to see to the needs of others as they did in those days. They sold their possessions and, and goods and part of them among men and, and every man's need, every man had need and every man's needs were met. May God give us such graces and, and such perception that we could that we could truly see to others needs such desire to to help and be helped and be glad doing sinner if you would please look at matthew chapter 16 just for a moment matthew chapter 16 matthew chapter 16 verse 26 for what shall a prop, what shall, what is a excuse me for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul you got a need or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? You have a need. And guess what? I can't provide your need. Nobody here can provide your need. You can't provide your need. You're in total need. You're in a state of necessity. Your soul of eternal necessity is in need of salvation. There is only one that can satisfy that need. And it's he whom they had believed, Jesus Christ, that the Son of God, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you haven't taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, but you have sinned against. You have sinned against the Son of God. You have sinned against God. And God hath made that same Jesus whom you have sinned against, both Lord and Christ. What will ye do? Repent. Call upon the name of the Lord. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How does that happen? Well, God does that. Do you see any need at all? Do you see any need, necessity at all before God? May God grant you a panic before him that you would call upon the name of the Lord that you would call upon Jesus Christ himself and his gospel his death burial and resurrection his substitution for the likes of sinners for enemies Christ died was buried and rose again repent call upon the name of the Lord and be saved may the Lord bless the preaching of his word